0: Dear Church, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I want to welcome everyone watching today in San Antonio and the surrounding areas, Bo Church Cibolo, uh, those watching around the state, and uh, those watching from uh, around the world. I also want to welcome those who are uh, watching on the patio I know that you've experienced some bad weather over the past couple months. It's been cold and messy and miserable at times, and I just want you to know I appreciate your steadfastness uh, through all of this. If this is your first time uh, joining our service, I want to say welcome, and I hope that you'll consider joining us in person, whether that be in our worship building uh, or if that's on the patio. We would love, uh, I would love to meet you, and I'd love for you to worship with us. We've been in a series called Dear Church, and we've been talking about seven unique letters that God uh, has penned to the seven churches in Revelation. In uh, and, and the first week, we talked about Ephesus, the loveless church, and then we talked about Smyrna, the persecuted church, and then we talked about Pergamum, uh, the tolerant church, and then we talked about Thyatira, the corrupt church, and today we're talking about Sardis, uh, and, and that's the dead church, and I want to give you just a few details about Sardis. It was a wealthy city. It was a, a, a city that had a, a, that was a trade center. It was located at a crossroads where there were five different roads that went through it five different directions. And, and so there was a lot of people that were passing in and out and a lot of trading were going on and a lot of wealth was there. It, it was also a well-fortified city. It was located on a steep hill, about 1,500 square feet. And so it was hard to conquer And despite it being well fortified, uh, and the people being very comfortable and feeling untouchable, it actually had been conquered twice in its history. Uh, One was in the uh, mid-500s BC, Uh, there was a Sardis soldier that was walking around the cliff, around the wall, and he dropped his helmet, and his helmet goes tumbling down, and, and he goes down this little sacred passageway to get it. Now, what he didn't know was there were some Persian soldiers that were looking for a way to conquer the city. And they noticed the soldiers do this. And guess what? That night, they took that same passageway. They come up to the top. They experience, They expect to experience or see a watchman or people to be on guard. But no, the city was content. They didn't have anyone watching that area. They went through and conquered the city. Now, after that, you would think that this city would always be on guard. They would always have someone watching. But about 300 years later, they were conquered again in, in a similar fashion. And so when Jesus says, wake up, be watchful, this city would have known about, uh, about uh, what it's like to fail to be watchful, uh, what it's like to, to fail to, to be awake. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to see that most of the letters that are written here in Revelation give some kind of description of Jesus. And we're going to see that here. It says, Write the letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. And so, what is that sevenfold spirit? What is that sevenfold spirit? Well, Isaiah 11, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament. Isaiah 11, we're going to see that this is a prophecy of the Messiah. And we're going to see that the Messiah would be empowered by not by seven individual spirits, but by one spirit that's described in seven ways. It starts off this way. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, and yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we're going to see seven spirits right here or uh, seven different ways that it describes Jesus. He has the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power and knowledge. And he has the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is Jesus. I mean, he's one that has knowledge. He's the one that has, uh, has understanding. He's the one that has power and counsel. So this is the author of this letter. This is the person. Uh, he, he has all of these things. Uh, he, he has power and understanding and wisdom. And that's the author. Now, what about the stars? Uh, we're, we're going to see that uh, John uh, is in the spirit, and he hears this loud voice like a trumpet, and he turns around and he sees a vision. And to get an understanding of the stars, we need to go back to John chapter, or Revelation chapter 1, it says in verse 12, he says, when I turned to see who is speaking, I saw seven golden lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a long robe with a goat's ash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes, notice his eyes, were flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like, a mighty, like mighty ocean waves. And he held the seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Now skip to verse 20. It gives us an, it tells us what the seven stars are. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars. You saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we know an angel literally means messenger. And that leads us to a question. Are these human messengers or are they heavenly beings? And some scholars have suggested that every church had their own little guardian angel. Now that's possible uh, that, uh, this, that this angel would oversee and protect this church, but it's also possible that these may be pastors or bishops uh, of these churches and that, that we see here. And as a pastor, they're a messenger to the church and that's responsible for faithfully preaching God's word to them. And, and John's vision shows us that each, uh, pastor, or each pastor is being held in, in God's right hand. So let's continue reading in this, this letter. Again, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we're going to see it verse, uh, still in verse 1. I know all of the things you do and what you have a reputation for being alive. But notice this. You are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Uh, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you've heard and believe at first and hold on to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again, and if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as as an unexpected, as a thief. And then it says, Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Now, normally, Jesus starts off by commending the church and saying, you're doing this good. And then then after he says, good job, then he normally gives them a rebuke or gives them a correction of some type. But with this church, he doesn't do that. He starts off right away and he says, you're dead. You need to wake up. You've got problems and you may have a good reputation for being alive, but you're not. And what I find interesting in this church is this church really doesn't have problems. If you look at the other churches, they had false teachers. They had the throne of Satan. They were known to be the city of Satan. They had Balaam. They had Jezebel. They had, there was no synagogues of Satan mentioned here. There's no persecution. There's no false teachers. And what I think you see here in this church is this church is content. I mean, they, they, they feel good. Everything's going well, and, and they have this good reputation for being alive. But guess what? They're not. And Jesus calls them out for it. See, life was so easy for this church. if They, they, they could just kind of keep on going through the motions, but they were completely dead. And there was an artist one time that, that was requested to, to paint a portrait of a dead church. And so he spent several months working on this and, and he finally finished it and he uh, brought it to the gallery. And it was covered up with canvas. And, and uh, the question was asked, well, what does a dead church look like? And several people said, oh, well, it's probably the lawn has weeds, it's not maintained, the building's probably falling apart, it probably has broken windows, it, it probably looks, just looks really ugly on the outside, maybe it has some graffiti. It's just not taken care of. And and then uh, the portrait was revealed. And to their surprise, there was a gasp. The the church the church that he painted actually looked magnificent. The the lawn was manicured. Uh, the, the, the building looked just amazing. It was just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And they said, We we thought that you were told to paint a dead church. And he said, I did. I painted a dead church. Just because you look good on the outside, just because your facilities look good, just because everything looks good, doesn't mean that you're alive. You can look good on the outside. You can have a good reputation, but you can still be dead. It doesn't mean that you're alive just because you have a nice building, just because you, your lawn is mowed, just because uh, there's, your windows aren't broken, And and again, we see that Jesus is concerned. He's concerned for this church. Now, not everyone in Sardis was dead, but this church was the one life support. And and he encourages them, hey, you need to get right. You you need to get right. And if you don't, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. I've told you you this before, but in my household, when one of my kids, uh, let's just say they're having some problems... And I give them a warning. And then after that, I said, you know, if if things don't improve, we're going to have a real come to Jesus meeting. And and what that means is it's not going to be pretty. Uh, We're we're really going to dig in. And uh, I want to make your life miserable if you don't change your behavior. And, And so Jesus says, hey, if you don't wake up, if you don't start changing, if you don't become alive, Things are going to not go, not going to be easy for you. I'm going to come and, and we're going to talk. And there may be some more than just talking there. I, I think you've probably all had conversations like that uh, with your kids, maybe in your job. It, it's one of those come to Jesus meetings where things gotta have to change and things need to get straightened out. So the question that kind of came to my mind is, what does a dead church look like today? What does a dead church look like today? And we must really figure out, or we must realize that a church is made up of its people. It's more than a building. We say that a lot here at Castle Hills. Church is its people, it's not the building. And so when we're looking at this, a church focuses more on the past and instead of the future. A dead church focuses more on the past than its future, it's all about tradition. It's all about, well, we've always done things this way and and we need to continue to do it that way. And there's no sense of thinking about the future, thinking about how you can reach people and thinking about the Great Commission of thinking about uh, what our culture needs, what our city needs right now. A a dead church lives on inherited faith instead of individual faith. And, And what I mean by that is there's many people who say, well, you know what, my mom and dad, they had strong faith and I'll just try to live off of that or my uncle, or my aunt, or my best friend. They're really faithful, and I'll just live off of that. No, God calls us to have our own individual faith. We need to have our own story of of how Christ is working in our life. And dead churches, they're just living off of other people's reputation, other people's faith. Another example example of a dead church is gathering to socialize and not to worship. It's basically become become a social club. I come here because I get to meet cool people and and people that I enjoy being around. But there's no worship of God. There's no transformation taking place. There's no reading of God's word. Uh, Another example of a dead church is they focus on preferences and not on God. They're distracted about the small things. Or are the seats soft enough? And do I like the seat color? And, and what about the floor? And what about the pain? And what about this? And what about that? And, and, and I like this song and I don't like that song. And, and dead churches, all they're focused on is their preferences. And they've taken their eyes off of God. I, I know this may surprise some of you, but worship is not about us. And it's not about our preferences. It's about God. Another example of a dead church is they look uh, looking at a church as a set of obligations instead of opportunities. You, You look at church as a set of obligations instead of opportunities. You feel like you have to come to church. You feel like you have to give. You feel like you have to volunteer instead of you get a chance to worship. You get a chance to give. You get a chance to make a difference in a child's life by ministering to them. You, you get an opportunity to serve God in amazing ways. Dead churches see this as, oh, I have to do this, and, and they dread doing that. And so I, I think that we, we see that time and time again with dead churches. We also see that dead churches, they lack a passion for Jesus. They, they, they put their they their passion about other things. But when it comes to Jesus, not so much. Well, we're passionate about our Dallas Cowboys. We're passionate about Spurs. We're passionate about fishing or golf or crafting or whatever thing. But when it comes to Jesus, uh, not so much. And, and we see that with with dead churches. They've lost their passion. What we see with dead churches, they they they're more focused on knowing instead of doing. They have a lot of knowledge. They can tell you what the Bible says, but they don't have a lot of application in their life. We see dead churches that are normally quiet instead of making noise. Now, I'll tell you that there are times in worship that it's good to be reverent and, and take some time to meditate and think through. But I can tell you here at Castle Hills, we want to be a noisy church. Because you know what noisy churches mean? That, we're, that there's activity going on, that we're serving, that we're doing things for Christ. We love, we love children who make noise. That, that tells us that we have the next generation here. We love when people are making noise and serving and, and using their gifts and their talents. And, and so the church is never meant to be a morgue. And I can tell you, most quiet churches are dead churches. Now, the question is, how do we resurrect a dying church or a dying Christian? Maybe that's you right now. You, you just don't feel up to par. You, you don't feel like you're where you need to be in your walk with Christ. Well, well let me give you four different things. First of all, wake up. I, I want you to kind of evaluate your life and ask, am I dead right now? Am I just going through the motions? Am I too comfortable? Secondly, repent. If you realize this is where you are, then say, God, I'm sorry, and I need to make some changes in my life, and will you help me make those changes? Thirdly, remember and renew. Just like the church in Ephesus, we see that they were a loveless church, and they were told to remember your first love. Well, I want you to spend some time remembering the time that God impacted your life. And, 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 t- and spend some time thinking about how you can renew your passion for Christ. Realizing that we live in a lost world, that there are people dying every day that doesn't know Christ. And, and we have the opportunity to be a light to them. We have an opportunity to share our faith with them. We have an opportunity to be an example. And, and we are to live with an eternal perspective. Now, Satan wants us to get distracted, but we want to have a focused life. We want to have a life that's making a difference. And so we want to remember and we want to renew if we're dying or if we have a dead church. And then lastly, get uncomfortable. Get uncomfortable. When we're uncomfortable, we, we, when we get uncomfortable, we tend to grow the most. I want to encourage you to step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your comfort zone. That tends to be where God grows you the most. That may may mean stepping in and serving in children's ministry. That may mean working with our youth. That may mean being a greeter. There's a wide variety of ways, but I'm asking you to consider, step out of your comfort zone and let God work. And this year, our theme is focus. And if we want to focus, then we need to wake up and live. Wake up and live. If I could narrow down this sermon just to one basic thought, I want to encourage you to wake up and to live. We don't want to be like the church of Sardis. We want to be a live church, and it starts with you, and each one of us have a responsibility. So the question is, are you awake? Are you living? Are you passionate about Jesus? Let's not be a church that just goes through the motions. Let's be a church that's on fire. Let's be a church that tells the world about Christ. Let's be a church that's going to be a light for the world.